Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. And while I'm praying, if you wouldn't mind opening up to Ephesians chapter 6. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, see what it says about servanthood. I pray that you would be revealing to us where we are coming up short. Continue to convict us and to stir us into action and to not let us go until we would be proper servants of Jesus, making the gospel known through our very actions so that our very actions would give rise to the, to the question to which Jesus is the answer to for anybody who is watching. Speak to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, and, and convict us to follow you in, in deeper relationship so that Jesus would be made manifest through our deeds. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, today we've got a very difficult passage to go through. Uh, if you read the email from Ben, you know we're going to be talking about what the Bible says on slavery um, as being one difficulty. And then the second is the character of servanthood. And that is the real tricky thing. That one is personally very difficult. And as, uh, I, want, as I read the passage, I want you guys to take a moment to consider um, in what positions in life are you taking the form of a servant where you are under somebody else's authority and you are serving them? And also, everybody kind of takes the, the position of being the master at some point, the one in charge, the one who has authority over others. In what ways are you in that position at different times? And be thinking through that as I, as I read this passage from Ephesians 6, starting in verse 5. Bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is in heaven is both their master and yours, and that there is no partiality with him. So like I said, um, this is one of those passages in the Bible that does discuss slavery. Uh, the ESV translates the word as servants, uh, which is the word, Greek word doulos, which can mean both actual uh, a bond servant, which we'll define here in a moment, but it can also mean slave, as we would think of it, as somebody who is indebted to somebody else and under their forced service. Um, and so to that, I have to say, thank you, Ben. Thank you for giving me uh, one of the more controversial topics in the Bible. Um, uh, but I encourage you to not just immediately dismiss this, as so many people have, for one of two reasons. So many people in culture today will say, ah, the Bible condones... Thus, therefore, I'm out. Count me out. I want nothing to do with Christianity. And other people might say, you know, well, because slavery isn't a part of our culture, yeah, this is irrelevant to me. In that case, I'd push back. And I'd say no part of the Bible is irrelevant to anyone in this room ever. 
And to those who are rightfully concerned about whether or not the Bible condones slavery, the Bible absolutely condemns slavery in the ways that we think about it. The type that has harsh masters who are utterly indifferent to uh, those that are serving under them and uh, would strip away their dignity in life. And that this can just run on indefinitely, generation after generation, that your children's children and children and their children and so on and so forth will forever be enslaved to this master and his family. The Bible condemns that. And while Paul's command here in this passage is not abolish slavery, you don't have to look very hard to find Paul out as being an abolitionist. We don't have time to unpack the book of Philemon in this, but I would encourage you to go and read it because the Cliff Notes version of that, of that book is Paul pleading with Philemon, who is the slave owner of Onesimus, to let Onesimus go for the sake of the gospel. And Paul makes two arguments in it. One, to let Onesimus go because Onesimus has been an incredible servant for the sake of the gospel. An absolutely incredible servant, making the gospel known to many people across all of uh, the known world. And the second is that this would be Philemon's personal response to the gospel. That because Philemon, a sinner saved by grace, set free from bondage to sin, if this is true of him, he ought to let Onesimus go so that Onesimus would be free. See, whether or not the Bible condones or condemns slavery ought not be our focus. Instead, what the Bible does commend as far as, quote-unquote, slavery goes, is more of a grace provision than anything else. Because part of the created order is that, uh, uh, a part of creation is that there's brokenness, that there is sin, and man will abuse man and take advantage of weakness and these sorts of things. But the Bible gives a grace provision to those who have come into incredibly difficult positions. Usually, this was debt, which is very familiar to our culture today. People fall into debt and can't get out. And in that day and age, the person who was owed the money could go up to um, uh, that person and say, you're going to be my slave. And what that means is you and your whole household are going to come live underneath my roof. I'm going to take care of all of your earthly needs, not just yours, your wives, your children's. Everything that you could possibly need is going to be taken care of. Meanwhile, you're going to work for me to pay off the debt. And there's a time limit here. This is not indefinite. This is at most possible seven years. And even if at the end of that seven years, the debt has not been paid off, you are still free to go. The one exception to this was if the slave decided to willingly devote the rest of their lives to serving this master because life under this master's roof was so good that they, even if they were set free, they would never be as well off as they are under the loving care of their master who was more like a brother to them while their master was seeking to restore them to a place in society where they had utmost dignity, they found that they had more dignity living under this master's roof. And so they decided to become a bond servant. And Paul uses this language in Ephesians to say, you might be slaves of an earthly master, but you are bond servants of Christ. See, Jesus has given his life for us, and so we give our lives to him 
in service of him. And no matter what your position in, in life is, whether you are somebody with great authority or a very low position, you are a bondservant of Christ equal with the other. And this is why this passage can be so difficult as well. Because the focus of the passage is not so much whether or not the Bible condemns or condones slavery and whether, uh, what to think about that, as much as it looks at the character of servanthood. And notice I didn't say the character of servanthood and masters, because masters were placed in equal position as co-servants of Christ, and that they will be judged according to the very same character standards that the servant will. And I feel like I fall so short of that. As I was looking into this, I came into this going, hmm, this is a good passage for a deacon in training to meditate upon. And I got done meditating upon it and going, I'm not sure if I should be a deacon. <laughs> um, but if we put our focus in on how well we live up to these character attributes, how well we perform our duties and such, and which is important, and we'll unpack that in a moment as well, but if we put our focus there on doing everything that we possibly can for the sake of the doing, we'll cripple ourselves with performance. Because we are sinners. We've, we fail. We don't live up. We don't measure up to the, everything that could possibly be said about servanthood or the Christian life. Because we are not Jesus. However, if we put our focus in on the why we serve, that transforms everything. The why is that we would reveal Jesus as the Savior through our very works. And if you place everything in your life, the entire reason for your serving of one another and seeking the benefit of the other as to reveal Jesus as being the Savior, the natural result will be that wholehearted, generous, faithful service that ought to be a characteristic of us. And so that's why I kind of want to spoil the application up front, not make you wait till the end. Because this passage can be kind of difficult to apply in our context because nobody in this room, at least to the best of my knowledge, is literally a slave or a master. But there are some very natural things that we can apply this to. I think the most obvious would be the relationship between employees and employers. Uh, so to employees, do you sacrificially work with diligence? Do you seek to reveal Jesus as being the reason that you are working instead of your paycheck? Employers, do you make sacrifices for the benefit of your employees? Perhaps even at the sake of the profits of your own company, knowing that the master of heaven who cares for you will supply for your every need as you care for others. We have contractors in this room, people who build homes from the ground up, people who do house cleaning or do other services for people. Contractors. Do you joyfully exceed the expectations of your clients? Knowing that in the way that you do, even the hidden details, the things that nobody will ever notice or give thanks for with eagerness, with joyfulness, doing it with excellence as if you are doing it for the Lord Jesus. 
or the people who hire the contractors. Maybe the person walks in and they're having a bad day and they're grumpy and, or they're maybe a little disheveled looking and not quite meeting your expectations of what that person should look like. Are you still treating them with the same generosity that you receive from Jesus on a day in, day out basis so that maybe they might catch a glimpse of his wholehearted love for them that is faithful day after day? Uh, other examples are very easily, you know, um, uh, the submission that we would show to elected officials or police officers in the community. And likewise, those officials and police officers are to care for the flourishing of their communities. How about the submission that we as church members have for our elders who pastor us and care for us to seek our benefit? and are maturing in Christ. The servant of Christ seeks two things. The benefit of others above their own praise and comfort. And the more important bit, the why behind it. So that the glory of Jesus would be manifested through the very things that we do. And this is so important. This is Again, this is the why that we, we serve and do things with excellence. It is so that Jesus would be so clearly perceived and known through the very things that we do that people would not be able to argue that Jesus is real when they simply look and watch what it is that we do. That they wouldn't see us cutting corners for anything because we want to do all things as if it had an eternal kingdom impact because it does. It's important how we serve and who we serve is more so. My friend Matt had just become the youth pastor at um, our old church. I, I didn't know Matt at this point in time, so I'm, I'm telling this story from his perspective. Um, but many of you have met him because he was up here a couple months ago sharing about how he was going to be going on a long-term mission trip out to Spain, which if you want an update about that, you can come talk to me later. But uh, he had just stepped into the role of being the youth pastor at this church. And he had served for a while in the ministry underneath the, the former youth pastor and had done all the things, all the annual traditions, the weekly gatherings for Bible teachings, these sorts of things, and inherited all of it. And he was going throughout the year, everything was going fine and wonderfully and then the first big thing came up, the camp out. Taking a bunch of middle school age kids and high school age kids out into the woods. Actually, it was a camp. Still, they had cabins and such, but taking them out and uh, going off there. And he had a plan, do everything. Uh, I was asking Shannon about this because she was involved in the youth ministry at that point in time, and she doesn't recall having a leaders meeting beforehand where uh, roles and, and tasks got delegated out to folks or anything like that. Because Matt, when he was telling me the story, said like he just thought he was going to have to do it all. From the, the planning of the games to the Bible teaching, leading Bible studies, preparing the food, handing out medicine, whatever it could possibly be, he thought he was just going to have to do it all. And he was incredibly stressed out about it when, when we got there. And see, what he needed in that moment was volunteers who served wholeheartedly, generously, and faithfully. And his job as a pastor 
was to care for the souls of his students through discipleship and teaching. And unfortunately, side tasks threatened to keep him from doing either of those, let alone doing anything well. So what he needed was servants. But in the midst of kind of his freakout moment, he looked up and he saw Shannon cooking the food. And it looked like she had a plan. And she was doing it faithfully, meal after meal, and without being need to told, be told to do it. He, he also looked over and he saw David, who wasn't officially a part of the youth group ministry at that point in time. Uh, he was a volunteer that was roped, roped in to drive the, the van. He was uh, refocusing uh, a Bible study that was happening with uh, middle school-aged boys. That's a monumental task. They were trying to derail the Bible study, and he was joyfully refocusing them without any exasperation and was doing it well. David and Shannon weren't given a certain set of expectations from Matt. They simply saw opportunities to serve and jumped into it wholeheartedly, generously, faithfully, to do it the entirety of the time that they were there without begrudging, with joy. And it's this kind of servanthood that Paul is trying to get us to, uh, to meditate upon as we look into this passage. Um, when he says here, one of the first things is that you would do this with a sincere heart, that bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. Literally, the word sincere heart means single-hearted. This, this conveys the idea of being absolutely devoted. And there's no ulterior motives here for the person, that they are there for doing the task itself. And they, they will apply to them everything about who they are to it. And then it, he gives a couple of negative examples of what not to be. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. It, eye service is this idea that it, it's the kind of service that is performed solely to attract attention, not for its own sake, nor to please God. And it's often one of those things that uh, it looks like they're doing really good while I'm watching them. And then as soon as they're not being watched, yeah, slack off a little bit. Or maybe they do things with excellence, but they really only are only caring about the appearance of it. That they just want it to look good. So maybe that they get a good reputation. But the not man pleasers, See, the man pleasers is a slightly different thing. It's not just trying to say the, the, the eye service thing in a different way. No, this is a different thing. Eye, eye, serv or eye service, you know, what it is looking at is the kind of service that only attracts attention, uh, not for its own sake, whereas man pleasers, these are the people who seek to gain the approval of men. And that alone. And what that displaces is something really important, the approval of God. It's to quote a commentary that I was reading from Glenn Graham, the slaves are not to fear the anger of their earthly masters, but the disapproval of Christ, who is never pleased with service performed poorly. If you're doing something by way of eye service or uh, to be a man pleaser, this is the cheap knockoff of the real thing. 
I don't know about you, if you've ever like, ah, yes, that item there, that's the real thing, but this is what I can afford. And it falls apart so fast, right? Well, you know, I was recently doing a, um, a cutting board job for a client who wanted their pull-out cutting boards from their cabinets to be replaced, and they had two of them. And they brought them to me so I could get exact measurements and then take them back so that they could still have something functional to work with at home. And one of them that they brought was in good shape. I mean, yeah, it had some knife marks on it and it needed to be uh, sanded down perhaps, but I mean, there's no reason why it couldn't be used. It was great. It had good joinery techniques even. Somebody obviously went the extra step to make this quality. Then the second one was a piece of plywood with some trim wood put on around the edges, tacked on with a little bit of glue, maybe, and some nails. And that one was falling apart. That one was degrading and absolutely needed to be replaced. Now, ultimately, I did replace both of them. I made them some beautiful boards. But it, this conveys the idea of our, what our service ought to be. Be that first one. The one that was probably in that house for 50 plus years that could still have another 50 plus years of service to it. Doing things with excellence. Don't be the cheap knockoff that falls apart. The fruits of eye service and man-pleasing reveal something core about you that you, as far as your work is concerned, the only thing that you care about is how it benefits you. I'm going to borrow an illustration from Francis Chan. Um, and it was kind of the, this idea of how to convey eternity and what we do in life. Now, he used the rope, but I'm an AV guy, and I didn't have rope, but I've got cables. And uh, the idea here is that pretend this cable is, uh, it begins here as a, as a timeline and goes on forever. It's eternity. And this little bit of silver right up here is your time spent here on earth. And what so many of us do is this little tiny bit right out here. We're working so hard in our lives to make this last little bit as comfortable as possible. You know, we call it retirement, where we can sit back and put uh, our feet up, put our hands behind our head, have a good drink, and sit on our porch and enjoy the end of our life as if there's nothing else to it. But Scripture emphatically repeats over and over and over and over again that this is not the end of our life. We've got a lot more that we're living for. And it's very easy to make the, the case that what we should be doing for eternity is saving souls, and that's absolutely true. To have, so have more people enter into eternal life with Christ. But Scripture also says that our works have an impact on what eternity will be like for us, namely the blessings that are poured out to us um, by Jesus himself, the rewards for a life that was well-lived in his service. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, talking about the judgment that, yes, we as believers will face when we step into eternity, says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 13 through 15, each one's work will become manifest, for the day of judgment will disclose it, 
because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. I don't know about you, but I certainly do not want my salvation to, uh, to be manifested when I step into heaven with smoke on me. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And this is what I think Paul is, is exhorting us into, is this kind of servanthood, this positioning of ourselves as servant, bond servants of Christ, people who have willingly given themselves fully to the service of Jesus so that he would be made known everywhere throughout everything that we do. Jesus cares so much more about our character than our position in life. This is why it says here that we are to render service with a good will. The word goodwill here conveys this idea of generosity, that it is seeking the benefit of those who are being served. And to quote my friend Steve Haas, who was a mentor for me when I worked at World Vision, he says, the church is that funny institution that was built for the benefit of the outsider. See, we are being built up as servants of Christ to, for everything that we possibly do to be a testimony to him as being the savior. Everything. So yes, we are being saved for the benefit of those whom we serve of those whom we uh, might just make a random connection with out on a street corner, for those people who are unbelievers in your family who are frankly the people you don't want to spend the time with. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. We, were, we are built up as the church for the benefit of the outsider. So it doesn't matter how you are treated. You are to, you are to serve People well, lovingly, generously, wholeheartedly, faithfully, day in, day out. And make no mistake about it. The, the obedience that Paul calls for here is absolute. It, the Greek leaves no wiggle room. <laughs> it says, slaves or bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. And later on, it says that to, um, but, uh, to do this as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God. Obedience to your earthly masters is the will of God for you. And that might seem heavy-handed, but it, we think of the will of God as being this mysterious thing that we need to figure out the will of God for us in our lives. But throughout scripture, it makes it very clear what the will of God is. And this is one of those places where it clearly says it. Obedience is the will of God. And when you are obedient wholeheartedly, generously, faithfully, your obedience will reveal the will of God for salvation to all that he longs for. Our character, when we are obeying in this way, leaves Jesus as the only possible explanation. 
Jesus cares more about our character than our position. But masters, people who are uh, the ones in authority, who maybe are these enigmatic leaders or not so enigmatic, but leaders nonetheless, you're not out of the, the woods. Masters, it says, do likewise. Do the same to them and stop your threatening. While those in service are called to have high character, the masters are likewise called to be wholehearted, generous, and faithful to those who are under their stewardship. And the exhortation to, uh, to everyone would be that we would be in equal position. Those who are in service, those who are in authority, that we would be in equal position as co-servants of, of Christ while maintaining the submission and authority relationships that we have. And so what does this look like for masters? Well, Paul says that it is expressed through fair treatment. You know, don't ask too much. Don't put heavy burdens onto the people who are serving under your authority, under your stewardship. Make sure that you're not abusing them in that sort of way. And the flip side to that would be that you'd be willing to make sacrifices for the benefit of those who you lead. Uh, to take a quick aside from uh, the other story I was telling, we're going to come back to that, the campout story in a moment. Um, I want to tell you a story about a guy I met named Greg and the 10 beds in Russia. So the, uh, their, Greg and Rich were leading a missions trip out to Russia to go and share the gospel and they had um, a few other uh, um, um, male leader, men leaders to come along with them and uh, a bunch of high school age boys. And where the church that they were going to be staying at had recently remodeled the upper room in their church to be a place for missionaries to, you know, come and make home base. And they had done a wonderful job at uh, making it a very hospitable, comfortable room compared to merely being this dusty old attic. But they ran out of money when it came to furnishing it. And they, were, they had enough money to buy one nice mattress. And then the rest of the mat mattresses, we won't talk about those. But I will tell you that there was one that was even worse than the rest. This one looked like you might contract a disease just by looking at it. And so they're walking up the stairs to go into this room and uh, this one unnamed leader gets up into the room and he sees the nice mattress. And he makes a beeline for it. He lays down in it. He throws his hands back, kicks his feet up, got his pillow out by the time the, the rest of the people walk into the room. Greg was the next person up into the room and he just stood off to the side. And all the high school kids came and filtered in beds and they left the one alone. And Greg went and laid down in it, no hesitations. And that made it his bed. And see, he was seeking to preserve the dignity of those whom he was leading. To make a sacrifice of his own comfort and praise for them. I could tell you lots of stories about Greg. <laughs> but Greg was also one of the most thankful people I've ever met when it came to service. When he would be leading people, he would be thanking those people 
uh, in their service all the time. I want to shout out Ben and Jordan who modeled this greatly as well. Thankfulness is a huge mark of fair treatment. And Matt, from my earlier story, he was very humble with his thankfulness. He regularly recognized his shortcomings and was stunned and floored by um, incredible moments of service to those uh, of those under him and would regularly give us gifts and tell us how thankful he was and such. Uh, but when he was telling me that story earlier, he seemed to forget to mention somebody, Denise. She is 100% the unsung hero of that story. Well, Shannon was going around cooking the food and seemingly had a and she did have a plan, but it wasn't her plan. It was Denise's plan. Denise was the church secretary, and she had her finger in every aspect of ministry of that church, including uh, preparing things like everything that would be needed on a practical level for the campouts. And she had organized all the food into bins and written out instructions and a meal plan, and then identified Shannon as being the right person to execute this. She had a knack for recognizing the gifts of people absolute knack for it, and gave Shannon all the information, walked her through the details, made sure that she knew where everything was. She had also roped in David. Remember, I said he wasn't a part of the youth ministry yet. She identified him because uh, she knew that Matt needed more leaders, especially guy leaders, and especially somebody with the driver's license. And, uh, but she had also worked with him in children's ministries before and knew his heart for kids and knew that he would be such a perfect fit, and so brought him in. She would also rent the vans and make sure that the people who were going to drive the vans for these events um, uh, were insured by the church's insurance, and would give insight about the, the kids that were coming into the ministry. Uh, uh, she would give insight to the leaders saying, hey, you know, this is that kid's family background, this is some of their strengths, this is their weaknesses. This is what maybe sets them off. This is how to get them to be a leader and, and, and get them to engage with what's going on. She was constantly just seeking to equip people for ministry. And she would always do this from the position of a servant. And while she was so dynamic in her service and so critical into the very function of our church, she was always, always the first one to give the credit to whom the credit was due and remind people whom they serve, Jesus. Jesus, the master of heaven and earth, came to earth as a suffering servant. Think about that. The master, the architect of all of reality, came to earth as a suffering servant, walking with us, sharing in the joys and the struggles of life, and bearing the consequences of sin and then washed his disciples' feet on the very night that he was betrayed, and even washed Judas's feet. Think about that for a moment. As an act of great service, and used that as an object lesson of saying, you now go and do likewise. And then the very next day, took the cross, and served all of humanity throughout all of time by bearing their sins, so that through his mistreatment, through his sacrifice, through all of the shame that he bore, would make the gospel available to us. 
And throughout all of this passage, I hope you have noticed something that I haven't fully fleshed out yet, is that while we are to have these great character attributes in our service, we are to be doing them not unto our earthly masters, but as unto the Lord. And we need to also remember that whatever our position in life is, was a part of his eternal plan before he ever spoke the words, let there be light. That he knew where you would, when you would be in lowly positions in absolute service to others. And when you might be in high positions of authority, ruling over others and ordained when that would be. And that's why part of the reason why we serve with joy is because these are the very works that Christ has prepared for us. That in many ways, these works, these tasks, even the begrudging ones that we hate to do are a gift from Jesus for us to do so that he would be made known through our service. And these duties are at least in part what was spoken of in Ephesians chapter two in verses eight through 10, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is, not, uh, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. And it's important to remind you that your works never affect the quality of your salvation, nor do they purchase it in any way. That's already been done. The quality is perfect. It is absolute. But we are created for good works. When Jesus was existing before the foundations of the world because he is the eternal God, thought of you, he, he purposed in his heart to create you for doing good works that would reveal him as being the savior. God prepared these works so that Jesus would be made known. So no task that you do is ever without gospel opportunities within it. If you ever think along the ways that this is just some, something menial that has no eternal significance, I challenge you to change your mind. Our works are motivated by an incredible salvation that was freely given to us. Ought we not freely give our works in thankfulness to it? Our calling is to joyful service in remembrance of Jesus. And it said earlier to serve masters with fear and trembling as unto the Lord, as bondservants of Jesus. And this conveys this idea of being anxious to fulfill our duties with zeal. Does that, does that describe you in the works that you do? But I would also be not doing the text justice and not talk about the literal side of this that Paul probably had in mind, that they were to literally fear and tremble before their masters in obedience. Because in that day and age, masters would use cruel tactics to impose fear upon their servants so that they would have quote-unquote, loyal servants. 
And this practice was even praised in the culture at large of saying, yes, this is the way you're, you are to treat your servants, your slaves. It was this, with this harshness. So, but we are still called to that joyful service even in the midst of that mistreatment. I was talking about Denise earlier. Paul, she was an incredible servant. She was also incredibly underappreciated and abused. Without going into all the details, there were some very unhealthy senior leadership problems at that church. And it was very sad. One of the things that she specifically called out while I was talking with her was the huge last-minute tasks that would be just dropped as bombs onto the church staff and volunteers, many of them being last-minute things on Sunday morning. And she would take that on as a, herself. She would find out what the, what the ask was, and she would do it all herself to insulate the volunteers and the other staff members. And I asked her, why would you continue to be faithfully serving year after year, many, many years, decades, in that sort of condition? And she said, I want you to quote me on this. This is my message to your church. When working in ministry, keep your focus on what God wants for that ministry, or by extension, whatever your work is, and not what the hangups are. People are sinners. They will always let you down. God has a plan. Stick to that focus. People are sinners. We are sinners. People will abuse your service, especially when it is done in the, the wholehearted generous, faithful style that we are commanded to in scripture. And slaves in that day really, frankly, had no choice, much like how wives had no choice, as we looked at, to be, other than to be submissive to their husbands, otherwise they might be styled as a prostitute or worse. Slaves had the grim reality of obey or die. And it was absolute. There was no wiggle room. And yet Paul still exhorted them to joyfully serve. But you might ask the question, what if this sinful master of mine asked me to do a task that is sinful? Am I to be absolutely obedient there? That's a very fair question. And one that I'm sure we all have examples of, or we were told to do something that was not right. Well, bring it against scripture. First and foremost, before you even have a chance to react, reevaluate it. I don't care how much you know about scripture, how many times you've read through the Bible, reevaluate it. Bring it back to this task and check is this indeed a sin? Or do I just merely not like it? Because let's face it, a part of us being sinners is that we're lazy and like to find loopholes to get us out from having to do things especially things that we don't like. And we're very quick to call those things that we don't like sin in our Christianese that we have. But if it is sin, your allegiance is to God first and foremost. Obey him. In that particular corner case, disobedience to your earthly master would be obedience to God. And that is of utmost importance. 
And make no mistake, this may result in mistreatment, incredible mistreatment for you. But take comfort in the words of Romans 12, 17 through 21, knowing that God will vindicate you. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you might have to withstand unfortunate circumstances. But I want to also comfort you with the knowledge that we have options that our first century brothers and sisters simply did not. It might be hard, but you can always find a new job. You might have to take the shame of being fired, and what that never looks good on a resume. But you can find a new job. Or if you're a contractor, you can not work for that client anymore. You can get your job done and walk away. And Paul does have words to slaves in his day on this very topic, um, that if they can gain their freedom, to avail themselves to it. They, if you don't have to be enslaved, don't be. It says in 1 Corinthians 7.21, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about that. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. We are called to be servants of Christ. Not the servants of man, although you might find yourself in that position, and I'm sure have and are. And I hope you've seen now maybe where I feel, uh, the reason why I feel like I fall so short. And maybe you're under the same conviction, and I hope, I hope you are. This is an impossibly high standard for us. But the context for everything that we've looked at over the last three weeks is found earlier in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. It's the immediate context. I'm going to be kind of cherry-picking a part of this because it kind of goes off and describes a lot of little tiny bits and things and, and such. But it says, Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving their wives, children obeying their parents, parents not exasperating their children, slaves obeying their masters, masters treating their slaves fairly. The key to unlocking all of this from a gospel-centered standpoint is to be filled with the Spirit, mutually submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We suffer for the sake of the gospel. We are free for the sake of the gospel. We serve for the sake of the gospel. We lead for the sake of the gospel. Jesus cares more about your character than your position in life. Be his bondservant as you serve others. Be his bondservant as you treat and lead others. Heavenly Father, 
and send us the Holy Spirit to fill us in greater and greater measure. We thank you that he is already ours as a, as a seal of promise for the, uh, our salvation. But we would ask that we would be filled in greater measure by him for the sake of gospel sharing service. So that Jesus would be made obvious through the very character in which we treat others as we serve them, as we lead others. So that no one would be without excuse as they watch us. So that the questions to which Jesus is the answer to would be prompted when people who are not believers see us serving or leading. I pray that no one in this room would walk out of here saying, I am doing enough because we are not. And we confess that. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us in what repentance looks like, whether that be maybe filling in and serving in some of the roles here, uh, the volunteer roles that are at church, or whether that would be um, dedicating ourselves more so to our, our jobs or uh, being more generous and kind to our employees or whatever it might look like. I pray that you would not let anyone leave this room without conviction of the Holy Spirit about what it is that needs repentance and change so that Jesus would be glorified rightly through our lives. In Jesus' name.